turn with me, if you would, to Jonah chapter 4. And it's hard to believe we're already at chapter 4. 48 verses in the book of Jonah. And they're so powerful and they're so loaded with truth, ready to explode into our lives and transform us. And if you'll remember at the beginning of the series, I told you the book of Jonah is about amazing grace. That's what it's all about. It's about the amazing grace to rescue sinners and to bring about radical transformation in souls, desperately needy souls. And I've been so helped as I've studied Jonah and, and may the Lord just grant another powerful word to us today from Jonah chapter 4. It's one of those chapters that I would not, like it's the one that a lot of preachers want to skip over, right? It's like, what do you do with chapter 4? Which we'll see why shortly. But it has such a powerful lesson for us. So let's come before the Lord and get help as we... Get into the book of Jonah, and may the Lord grant us grace to see what the Spirit says. Father, we pray that you would minister to our souls as we get into the book of Jonah once again. May your Spirit be upon the Word. May you prepare our hearts to receive it. May you anoint me, Lord God, that I might speak your word faithfully and truthfully, filled with the Holy Spirit, filled with the joy of the Lord, filled with the life of God. And I pray that you would minister to your people. I pray that those who are online and those who are here in this room would experience a powerful word about your compassion and your love and your care for them. And I pray, Lord, that you would be glorified as your word is explained. And I pray that it would be like fire shut up in our bones, that we could not help but let it out into the world. And I pray, Lord, that you would be made much of. And so, Lord, set a guard over the door of my mouth that I would not sin against you in word or deed. But, Lord, that I would faithfully preach your word. And may the Spirit... Tailor a message for every heart in this room. May the Spirit of God blow on the Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I got a little start from that myself. <laughs> um, so, one of the things that we did a couple years back when we went to California is my family and I, we went to a place called Knott's Berry Farm. And that's kind of like holiday world um, in California. So there's a lot of roller coasters and there's a lot of fun rides and things that you can go on. And I was reminded of it because I took our kids on their first roller coaster ride and it was this coaster called the Sidewinder. You know, and this thing was just a rocky start, right? And you're going, you know, all these corkscrews and I it looked like just a little kiddie ride. And behind the scenes, this thing got out of control quickly. And the book of Jonah is like that. It's a roller coaster. Jonah starts off rocky. 
He's running from God. God calls him. He runs from God. And then before he knows it, he's on a ship. And he's sailing on a ship and God throws a monsoon on him. And then you turn from that and he gets pitched over the side. And he's in the water. And the coaster keeps going because a fish swallows him. And God appoints the fish to swallow him whole. And then Jonah has kind of a come to Jesus moment in the belly of the whale. And he repents, right? This is rocky stuff. This is all over the place. And he gets spewed out onto dry land. And he preaches one of the greatest messages in history. And there's a revival at Nineveh. And you're thinking, you can't get any higher. It's like going up the, the, the roller coaster. You're going up and you're at the top and it's about to be on. You know, this is the best part of the ride. And what happens? Jonah does not respond to the greatest revival in history the way you would expect. He was doing so good, it seemed. And then he comes down from that and he's angry and mad as a hornet. And we get into Jonah chapter 4 and you've got this angry prophet and yet a compassionate God dealing with him. And you're like, what is going on? Things were going so good. And we enter in to chapter 4. Let's read this. We'll, we'll go back one verse to get a little context in chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that He said He would do to them. And He did not do it. But, and now you know something's about to shift. It displeased Jonah exceedingly. In the Hebrew, it actually says Jonah thought it was evil. And he was angry. And then he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And then Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, and he made a booth for himself there, and he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would happen to the city. And now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant and so that it withered. And when the sun arose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he saw or so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant 
for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. And the book ends on a cliffhanger just like that. Should I not pity Nineveh? This is an angry prophet and a compassionate God getting into the courtroom. And Jonah thinks he's bringing God into court. And God's about to bring him into court and let him know an education in the compassionate character of God. Because Jonah, once again, sort of has this relapse. And brothers and sisters, we can go there, right? We could be doing good one day and everything's going well. And then something happens. And we are upset. And we are all over the place. And we are angry at the Lord even sometimes. So this is relevant for us. This is where we often live. Let's not think it's strange in some ways that Jonah is like this because we can often be on a mountaintop and then all of a sudden in a deep valley and it happens within the span of sometimes moments. But God wants to show us something about himself. And we're going to look at this passage in three truths, three points. Number one, we got an angry prophet. Number two, we're going to get a crash course. God's going to give Jonah a crash course in the school of grace and compassion. And then thirdly, we're going to see a picture of this glorious and compassionate God. That's what Jonah chapter four is all about. So let's dive in. Point number one, angry prophet. Talk about a tantrum. Read verse 1 again. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. It's like Jonah is saying, God, I'm, I want to call you to task here. What you did over here with Nineveh, all these people who repented, who are wicked, who are who, who were living just horribly ungodly lives. They were killing my people. They were wicked like the Nazis. And you're forgiving them because they repented. What's wrong with you? And he's trying to give God a lecture here almost. And you see verse 2 kind of... This, is, this goes from being angry at God to a little bit of angry prayer, right? And he's, he's praying in a state of anger and kind of calling God to task for being the way he is. Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? Verse 2. That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. So we finally get a glimpse of why Jonah in chapter 1 is running to Timbuktu, right? We finally get this reason that it's because you're the way you are, God. It's because you're compassionate. It's because you care about people. It's because you're going to forgive these terrible Ninevites. That's why I was running away. And you see a prophet that gets bent 
in the wrong direction once again. I mean, what happened to Jonah of chapter 2? Who's praising and singing psalms of thanksgiving unto the Lord and saying, salvation belongs to the Lord. And he's like, praise to the Lord, the Almighty. You know, he's singing hymns and he's praising. And now he's sulking. And he's upset. Because he took his eyes off the living God and he started putting them on circumstances. He started trying to decide for himself. I'm going to decide what's right. I don't think these people are worthy of your grace, God. I don't think they're worthy of your mercy. Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked at somebody and just said, I don't know if this is, this is not gospel material. This isn't baptism material, right? Have you ever had it in your heart where you just looked at somebody and they were different from you? And you didn't like them. And ultimately, Jonah has his reasons for why he doesn't like Nineveh. Because he's all too familiar with the prophecies of Hosea, who would say that Nineveh would ultimately end up bringing Israel into captivity. And what we are seeing, because this the book of Jonah was originally written to Israel to read. So they would be able to read this, and it's like an indictment on them because they were in idolatry. They were worshiping in a totally different place in the northern tribes. They weren't worshiping at Jerusalem, and they had an idol in Dan, which was one of the tribes. And, and, and basically, they were committing apostasy. And so the book of Jonah is kind of like a commentary on that. It's basically saying, listen, the people of God, the Southern Baptists of the day, right? The people of God are in idolatry. And the Ninevites are pictured in Jonah as the ones who actually are repenting of their idolatry. They're actually repenting of their wickedness. They're actually saying, yes, we're sinners. Yes, we're wicked. God, forgive us. And they're throwing, you know, they're throwing ash on themselves in sackcloth, as we read in chapter 3, right? They're actually humbling themselves before God. And Jonah is upset because this should be happening in Israel and it's happening in a pagan nation. And so we're getting a little glimpse of God's heart. He's not just about Israel and the Jews. He is, but he's also about the nations. And what's happening in the book of Jonah is a sign to us that what would happen when God would send his son one day, he would bring about the redemption of people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We're sitting here in Smithfield Baptist Church, Christians, because God has a heart for the nations. The Bible didn't start in America, right? The Bible started somewhere else. The Bible started in Mesopotamia, in Israel. That was the locus of God's worship. That's where the temple was. That's where God met with his people. And God was doing something there. And he wanted to reveal himself to the world. I was reading through Exodus this week in our Bible reading plan. And I was amazed that all of the plagues that God puts on Pharaoh in Egypt... Every time he does a plague, he says 
The reason I'm doing this is to show my power to the world, triumphing over the false gods of the Egyptians. So I'm going to turn the Nile to blood. I'm going to, I'm going to take the firstborn because they actually worshipped Pharaoh. So, so they thought that Pharaoh's son was a god as well. And so ultimately, these judgments on Egypt are revealing that God is over everybody. God is in charge. God is the one who's to be worshipped and He will not give His worship to another. And so idolatry is a serious offense. It stinks in His nostrils. And ultimately, Jonah, in his anger, what is happening is he's upset that God is the way He is. You ever said that to somebody? Like, why, like, why are you the way you are? You know, and it's kind of an indictment, right? You don't like the way they're behaving. Why, why are you the way you are right now? I don't get you. And that's what he's saying to God. Why are you so compassionate? Why are you going after this wicked city? But please know that nobody in here has any hope in the world of escaping the judgment of God if God is not compassionate to wicked people. Deep down, every single one of us is wicked to the core. And once we come to that place of recognition that we absolutely are bent in the wrong direction, that's what it means to be fallen and sinful. That's what it means when the Scriptures speak of the human heart as dead in sin. We don't move towards God naturally. It takes amazing grace to break in, to open our eyes. And Jonah needs to learn this all over again. Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew, I knew what you were like. You're a compassionate God, a gracious God, merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. And so Jonah wants Nineveh to become a crater. Poof. And he's upset. And he even throws, uh, you know, he pulls uh, kind of in verse 3, look at this, kind of a stunt about taking his own life. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life. Take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Kind of like, Lord, just kill me. If you're going to be like this, just kill me. Get it over with. As if he could manipulate God by that kind of behavior. Have you not had that attitude before? I'm just done. I'm done with it. It's over. Or maybe you're actually there where you're considering like, I just don't want to live in this pandemic. I don't want to live in this way of living anymore. I don't want to do this. I'm done. And you'd rather just be gone. Please know that God has a compassionate word for you and that God wants to take you in the school of His grace and His character and who He is so that you can see it's not all about you. It's about him. Notice in this chapter, everything's about Jonah, right? Lord, is this not what I said 
when I was in my country. That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious and merciful God. And then he says, therefore, now take my life, for it's better for me, me to die than to live. And God's just like, hold on, hold on. Verse four, do you do well to be angry? Like, are you right about this? Sometimes we just need those questions. Are are you right about this whole anger thing? No. You're missing it. Jonah's thinking he can control God. And God is like, you need to repent of that and, and, and be freed up to see how gracious I am. You want to receive my mercy in the belly of the fish, but you don't want others to receive my mercy. What is that? And so Jonah needs the school of grace. And that brings us to the crash course. Point number two. Jonah gets a crash course in the school of grace. Look at verse five. Now Jonah went out of the city and sat east of the city and made a booth for himself there as he sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now, I'll just stop there real quick. So Jonah doesn't answer God's question, right? God's like, do you do well to be angry? And he's like, "Uh, didn't hear you. And he walks out, he walks out, goes up onto the hill and creates a little booth for himself. And he's just chilling there wanting to see, uh, is anything going to happen here? Like, God, are you going to respond to my tantrum? Because I do tantrums for a reason. I need you to get it done. He's hoping that somehow God is going to change his mind again. At this kind of behavior, that's how far he's sunk. That's how far he's went. And maybe you're there today. Maybe you've got something going on in your soul and you're boiling and you've come to a bitter point. You've come and you're, you're, you're like on the hill and just like, God, I am not going to do it. I'm not going to keep going through this. I'm so done with this. And God would get at your heart. He's got a lesson to get at our hearts. He wants to help us out of bitterness and anger. Maybe you're bitter towards a family member. Maybe you're bitter towards someone in this church. Maybe you're bitter at a coworker. Maybe maybe anger has strangled you to the point where you can barely sense that you're even a Christian. And your relationship with God is withering right before your eyes and you need a word of grace to break into that. To give you hope. Maybe there's been friends who deeply hurt you. And you are just so upset. Lord, I have every right to be angry. And I'm going to hold a grudge. And I don't care. I'm not going to forgive them. But hear the words of the book of Ephesians. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, and evil speaking be put away from you. Along with all malice, which is like hateful intent. Be tender-hearted to one another, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. You see, as a believer, we can never stay in a place of bitterness 
if we understand the cross, if we understand God's love for us, if we understand that we have been forgiven much, and Jonah needed to know about the grace of God that he was given so that he would be able to give grace to this wicked city of Nineveh, or at least be happy about God's grace coming upon them. We should be rejoicing when people get saved. We should be shouting it at the rooftops. We should be celebrating when salvation breaks into a person's heart. Okay, let's look at this school. Because he's going to get taken to school now. Verse 6. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when, he had, when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm and that it attacked the plant so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it's better for me to die than to live. He's doing it again. So what's happening there? Well, notice this word. God is appointing a plan. So picture this. God speaks a word, creates a plant to grow up over Jonah and provide him shade. And so this plant is shading Jonah and providing a salvation of sorts a relief from the scorching sun. And Jonah's like, ah. And it actually says he's exceedingly glad. He's filled with joy. I mean, Jonah's all over the place, right? He's like, kill me. And then he's like, ah, this is nice. Thanks. You know, so he's so confused, but God is teaching him. Look at my salvation. Look at what I can do. I can create a plant to give you shade. And then the next day, God appoints a worm, and the worm comes and it attacks the plant. And the plant withers. And Jonah is left without that comfort, right? From the sun, or uh, shade in from the sun. And then God appoints a scorching east wind. And you've got to get a picture. This is like a, 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 a furnace blowing on you. Um, when I was growing up, we had something in California called the Santa Ana winds. And you could get these hot winds up to 50, 60 miles an hour just blowing on you. I mean, they would blow debris everywhere. And, and a lot of fires that happen in California, and we've had a lot recently in California, the Santa Ana winds just kind of blow those fires through everything. And, and ultimately, they're vicious. And this is the kind of scorching wind that's coming. And Jonah is just like, kill me now. I'm done. And he's seeing a picture. It's like God has to give him a parable, a living parable to get at his heart. Because he's not getting it just based on the He knows the character of God. He's quoting the scriptures about the character of God that we read in Exodus in his prayer as if it's a bad thing. And he needs something else to get at his heart. And so God's like, all right. I'm going to give you a crash course. And you're going to see something here. You need to see about my compassion that you are being cared for. 
But notice that God destroys the very plant that Jonah was so basking in, just, ah, and it's gone. And he's left to himself, and he's left to the elements. We often miss the character of God when we're so stuck on ourselves that we can't see his love for us. We can't see his care for us. We're so stuck on circumstances that we can't see he's sovereignly working in our lives. Oftentimes, my friends, oftentimes when circumstances get bad, God is up to something good in your life. God wants to get at your heart. He wants to bring you through a school so that you will cry out to him. Cry out in your grief. Cry out in your discouragement. Cry out in your distress. And he is an ever-present help in a time of need. And Jonah was learning that God was in control of everything and that he needed to look to him. Point number three, compassionate God. God is going to display himself now. He's going to give the end of the lesson, the take home of the lesson. I am compassionate. And my compassion means your salvation and it also means Nineveh's salvation. So he's going to start showing him what this crash course was really all about. Look at verse nine once again. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle. It's all coming to a head right here. Jonah needed to see that he cared more about a plant that God had created. And the same word is used. Jonah pitied the plant that he didn't make that he didn't tend to, he didn't make it grow, but he's all concerned when the plant gets destroyed, but he wants God to lower the boom on Nineveh, that's 120,000 people who don't know the right hand from their left, which means they're just spiritually ignorant and without hope in this world, and you care more about plants than you do about people. What kind of sense does that make, Jonah? We care more about plants than we do about people, he would say to Jonah. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left hand and also much cattle? God was looking at Nineveh with compassion. They did not deserve it. But Jonah did not deserve it either. Jonah ran from God and God orchestrated a whole mechanism of grace to bring him to a place where he would say, salvation belongs to the Lord. I cried out to the Lord in my distress and he answered my call and he saved me from all my troubles. 
And then he would use him to be the greatest preacher in all of history. God's gracious and compassionate towards Jonah and He cares about the wicked Ninevites. And beloved, listen, He cares about you. He cares so much that He nailed His Son to a tree for you. And Jesus willingly went. It wasn't like Jesus was like, God, do I have to do this? He said, no. For It was for the joy that was set before Him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. He loves you. He loves you with a compassionate love. He loves you with an irresistible love. If you're a child of God, it's because He called you out of the darkness into His marvelous light. And some of you need Him to call you out of the darkness into His marvelous light. Some of you need the grace of God to break into your life. Some of you are recognizing even now as I speak, you are sinners in need of grace. You don't know this hope. You don't know this love. You don't know this life. You don't know the power of God to change you and make you a new person and you need to hear just like Jonah needed to hear salvation belongs to the Lord and he is a compassionate merciful God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love you need to learn from the plant and you need to learn from the prophet in the school of grace that he will come to you and he will meet with you if you will humble yourself before his mighty hand if you will humble yourself, admit your sin, and call out to Him, He'll rescue you. And brothers and sisters, when we think about the compassion of God for Nineveh, I want you to be thinking about who is your Nineveh? Who is your Nineveh that God is calling you to? Who is your Nineveh? that you should have compassion towards, that you should be bringing the message of Christ to. Is there one person, if you were just to pick one person, I'm going to start praying for this person, I'm going to start interceding before the throne of grace, and I'm going to share God's love with them. I'm going to share the message of the gospel. You would see glorious things. It would transform your own heart to sing of God's grace and goodness, but it would also get you cued into the heart of God for the nations, the heart of God for the Ninevehs around us. Because this town, ultimately Smithfield, has many in Nineveh who need the rescue of God. Our county needs the rescue of God. And think of this, brothers and sisters, if your neighbor's house was on fire and you saw the flames going up and the smoke going up and you just looked over and you were concerned, but you did nothing about it. You made no phone calls. You didn't go over to see if there was anybody injured. You didn't do anything to help them. And you just said, well, it's not my problem. And that house burnt to the ground with them in it. That is what we do when people are all around us and we do not share this glorious good news with them. Let your fears be banished by the book of Jonah because God is in the business of using a prophet who's not so hot, not so good, not so great, but he can do glorious things. So if you think, oh, well, I'm not the preacher. God uses ordinary people. And guess what? The preacher's pretty ordinary himself. 
I get afraid to share the gospel sometimes. I get nervous. I get sweaty palms. I sometimes stumble over what I say. But brothers and sisters, every time I go out to share the love of Christ with somebody, I watch God work and it blows my mind. And I learn the lesson of the plant and I learn the lesson of Nineveh all over again. And I want us to get infected with the reality of God's grace so much so in our soul that we cannot help but share this message with the world around us. Don't be content to live a privatized Christianity that does not break out the doors of this building. For God so loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And maybe there's people that you find it's hard to share with them. I don't want to talk to the drug dealer down the street. I don't want to talk to the difficult person who annoys me and I don't even want to talk to them, let alone share the gospel with them. But these are people who are blind spiritually, the Bible says, dead in their sins, needing the grace of God to break in. And I think of the story of Corrie Ten Boom. She was a Dutch Christian living during the Nazi Germany World War II era. And what she did, she had such a heart for the Lord that she saw what the Germans were doing in killing Jews by, you know, the millions. And she began to hide the Jews in a little space in her house. She had a compartment where she would keep, she could keep up to six people. And she did that. And part of the Dutch resistance who said, we're not, we're not for what Hitler's doing. We're not about this. And what she ended up doing was being a part of a movement that saved, they estimate some 300,000 Jews. Can you believe that? God was working through Corey Ten Boom, a faithful woman who was bold for Jesus. And she was sharing the message with Jews and also lying to the Nazis and saying, there's nobody here. Eventually, they caught on to her and she got caught. And they threw her in a prison camp. They said, you're a Jew too. We don't care. They took her, her sister, her father, and they threw them in a Nazi prison camp called Ravensbrück. And she was there for many, many months. And it was a miserable, suffering, difficult situation. But you know what? She had such a heart for Jesus that she would begin to, to hold services. And, 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 and she would begin to be a part of organizing worship services. And many people, even in the camp, came to know Jesus. But I'll tell you, it didn't come without a cost. Ten days after she got in the concentration camp, her father died. Twelve days before she got released from the camp, her beloved sister and partner in the gospel, Betsy, died of sickness because the conditions were so poor. But she told her sister to keep preaching the love of Jesus to people. And her heart was broken in this camp. you got to imagine, she was probably not a big fan of Nazis. She was not a big fan 
of probably even Germans. And she left that camp. And she began to speak all over the world about what had happened, about how she had hid Jews. And she wrote a book called The Hiding Place. You could read all about this. But after one of her talks, she had a man come up. And instantly, he was a German man, and she looked at him and her heart sunk within her. Because this man was one of the guards, the Nazi guards in her prison camp. And this man was one of the people responsible for the death of her family members and so many others exterminated so many other people. And he told her, I was a guard at the camp. I was one of the ones there. But I'm a Christian now. Would you please forgive me? Would you please forgive me for what I've done? I'm a new man now. I'm a Christian. And he held out his hand. And she began, she, she wanted to hold out her hand, but she was recoiling. It was hard for her. It was hard for her. And she prayed, Lord, how can I do it? How can I do it? And so she, she's praying and breathing prayers. And the Lord began to give her a peace. I have forgiven you much. I have forgiven you much. I've had compassion on you. Will you have compassion on this one that I've saved? And she reached down her hand and it was just like an electric peace just came about her. She said, I forgive you, my brother. I forgive you. It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can do that in a heart. It's the, only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can do it in Nineveh. It's only the gospel of Jesus Christ that can do it in your heart. And maybe you're here today and you do not know that love. You do not know that forgiveness. Maybe you're listening online and you do not know that forgiveness. You do not know the God who would love you and forgive you of your sins if you will turn away from them and you will trust in Christ. If you will believe the gospel for the first time. If you will say, dear God, save me. I'm a sinner deserving hell. Would you give me grace? I'm like Nineveh, but I need rescue. Would you receive it? If God can save a Nazi prison guard, a wicked man, and change him and make him a new person, and be a testimony and monument to grace. If he can take Jonah through the school of hard knocks and grace to learn this great lesson, please know God can forgive you and God will forgive you if you believe, if you call out to him. We're going to bow for a word of prayer. And I want you to be thinking about your heart before God. Are you right with God today? Do you know Jesus today? Have you trusted in Christ? Are you sure? Or are you hard inside? Have you just thought spiritual things were just about, I'm, I'm just, I just get born into the church, right? I just, if I'm in a Christian family, I'm a Christian. Or if I've been baptized, I'm a Christian. Or if I, if I sing some worship songs, I'm a Christian. No, you've got to be born again. You've got to come alive to God in your soul 
because the Spirit of God has moved on you, opened your eyes to your sin, and you've actually repented and put your trust in Christ alone to forgive you of your sins. I want you to think about that. Have you done that? Have you called out? And may the Lord work in your hearts as we pray. Father, I just pray for those among us who may not know you. I pray that as they are sitting here listening, thinking, pondering, perhaps coming to grips with the reality that they do not know Christ, I pray that they would call out to you in faith. I pray that they would be speaking in the quiet of their heart even now, Lord, forgive me, I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. I believe Jesus died on the cross. I believe He was buried according to the Scriptures. I believe He rose from the dead according to the Scriptures. I believe He appeared to Cephas and the disciples and even 500 at once according to the Scriptures. And I believe, Lord, that You can save me. Would You save me from my sins? Would You rescue my soul? Would You give me this sweet peace and this sweet grace and work in my heart? Father, I pray that You would save some today. I pray that You would open eyes and ears for the first time that they may hear and come to You and embrace Your love and Your care for them. And I pray for those who are believers who have heard the Gospel many times to, to continue to glory in the Gospel. I pray for those who know there's Ninevehs all around them that they would be spurred on to take this message to the world. That they would have such joy in their hearts. That they would not be the sulking prophet, but Lord, that they would be coming to tell with joy and love in their hearts about this blessed Savior who can rescue sinners. And it doesn't matter how far off they are. It doesn't matter how deep their sin goes. Greater is your grace than all our sin. And so I pray that you would work that in our hearts as we learned from the book of Jonah that your grace is amazing and your compassion is full and rich. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.